Roberts is a fucking man. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. Leave your cares behind. Come with us and find the pleasures of a journey to the center of the mind. It's episode number 28 of your dad's favorite podcast. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. I'm Doug Tilly. And with me, as per usual, is a married man, Mr. Liam O'Donnell. Uh, yes. Uh, not Both not and newly married. I'm yes. sort of like a weird paradox of a human. I mean, you must be rolling in dough and presence right now, Liam. Well, uh, pre- I think you only get the dough if you don't register for the presents. But we got really stoked on the idea of registering for presents. So we, we got more presents than dough. But now, now, Liam, I do have to ask you a question. And certainly, I don't think this is very personal. But how much did your wedding cost? Oh, my God. <laughs> do you really want to know about that? Yeah. How much did it cost? <laughs> I don't have a final. I don't have like just a Just give final. me a rough estimate. I'm just curious. About, about nine. <laughs> About nine thousand dollars. Nine million. Oh, nine thousand dollars. That's that's so. I mean, that's reasonable, right? Nine thousand. I mean, are you in the whole nine thousand? No, 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 no. I mean, we we uh, had much much help on that. Oh, that's good. Again, I don't want to. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, Liam. I just want to know how it breaks down. So, so the the ceremony at the at the church. How much does that cost yeah. compared to all the after shit? Oh, uh, it really depends on where you go. I mean, I think some churches are pretty expensive. Ours was uh, more than I thought we would have to pay because mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought we would get the hookup. But sure. none of the places that we could go for free were convenient for what we needed. So we ended up having to pay something. But it was still uh, probably about half what other people would have to pay for the same venue. Now, Liam, this is another really important question. If you had to add up the dollar value of the presents you received – and compare it to the cost of the actual wedding. You're trying itself. to work out the economics right now. This just, is what you're doing. You're trying to figure look, out the economics of getting married. Let me let me explain what's happening here. You see, I never had a wedding, a proper wedding, right? I got married across a jury room table in the United States, like a fucking uh, shotgun wedding almost. I mean, my father-in-law was just staring a hole in me the whole time. Um, and so I never got the benefit of the presence. And that's a big thing for your first year of living together where you have nothing. Which we had fucking nothing. So Wait, I'm just to, just to clarify, did you? That's a real thing for you. Like when you lived together, you didn't have anything. Yeah, that's legit. What happened was, uh, aren't you an adult child? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you mean why don't I explain? Have things? How do you? Why did you need to all of a sudden need things when you got? Married? I have like all the things we're getting are just nice things. I already have things. I've been living on my own forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I had gotten married in a proper wedding when I got married then I would have gotten a lot of the things that you need to start your life together, right? But I didn't have that. And when we started our life together, I actually, when Jill moved from the United States to Canada, um, we, um, I had, I, I just gotten a new job. And a week after that, I lost my job. Um, so she moved into our brand new apartment, which was like more than twice the cost of my old apartment. And I no longer had any money. And all the money that I'd saved for us to uh, live together ended up being having to go towards rent and things like that, right? Because I wasn't making any money until I found another job. Uh, so we had nothing. We, we we spent most of our time playing gin rummy in, in a, on a card table in the living room. We didn't have any furniture or anything like that. It was not a great situation. Uh, yeah, right? Except we were – but we were addicted to love. 
<laughs> but uh, but what I'm saying is to go back to the point at hand, Liam, is uh, how much did you make in presents? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I haven't. No, no. I know you out. don't know the exact dollar amount, but you got to estimate for it. No, I really I nine thousand. Really... Do you think it was nine thousand? <laughs> You're just trying to figure out if this is worth it for you to do this for yeah. you to make this. I think it's. I think uh, if that is the reason you were doing it nowadays, no, because you have to understand we got the hookup because of you know what part of what I do for this is hardcore is I book food trucks. Sure. So um, I have relationships with food trucks <laughs> because of that. So you know who catered the wedding? Food truck. You yeah. know who catered the rehearsal dinner? A different food truck. You know who did the cakes and stuff? It was a was it a food bakery, truck? Sh- bakery <laughs> shop that used to be a food truck. So like. I got the, I mean, even like the coffee, we had like a coffee and donut reception and we got the hookup on the coffee. So like, I wouldn't even recommend someone trying to do what we did without knowing that they could get a a lot of free things. You don't even know who you're talking to right now. I'm Doug Tilly. I'm the most, I'm the most beloved man in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, and I can get my hookup wherever I look. Everyone wants to give things. To me, no. I'm saying if you can get a bunch of stuff for free, then yes, it's completely worth it. You will get. Things from your what I'm really trying to say is, I'm gonna like lowball the wedding, and I'm just gonna put no effort or money into it. But it will exist solely as a repository for gifts, right? For people, I'll be like, oh, this is my big wedding, guys. Like, I'll be excited about it online and stuff like that. And then everyone, and I'll do what you guys did, which I have like a registry and be like, hey, I'm getting married. This is the real thing. And I can get like blenders and toaster ovens and uh, microwaves and Swiffers, like the the clean the floor uh, and a Roomba. I'm just so confused by you right now. You're just a confusing human to me. Why? Because you don't have- Shut up! Shut up, Liam. Today's guest is a cultural commentator, a short filmmaker, and the host of the Undressing the Underground podcast. It's Mr. Rob Marvin. How are you doing today, Rob? Hi, I'm Rob, and I'm single, and I live in Northern Liberties, and I need free stuff if you want to get married. Mm-hmm. Rob, what's your John? My John? Yeah, what's your John? What the fuck does that mean? Hey! Don't be a poser! How do you not know that? You should have something ready to go. Oh, you boy. Mean, like, John, like J-A-W-N? Yeah, or yes, John, of like, course. The name? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> He's from Canada. Who the fuck knows what he's talking about? Look, that is a that is upon him. It's a fabulous point, actually. But uh, <laughs> because I hang out with uh, hang out virtually with uh, Mr. Liam O'Donnell, who's uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, he tells me that everyone uses the word John like a million times a fucking sentence, and it just irritates everybody. But he keeps doing it because he thinks I don't know. I guess it makes no it one is irritated him. by this. Who matters? Wait, do they? Because I remember them using it when I was in high school, like. What twelve years ago? I don't remember. I'm hearing him recently. This is excellent. I love that you're saying this right now because I could just imagine Liam. Wrong people. We're gonna have a Philly rivalry going on this whole time. (laughs) It's just an ageist rivalry, really. But Rob, are you from North Philly or South Philly? (laughs) Uh, I'm from outside Philly, but I did live in South Philly for three years. Where's the place that you live now, Liam? (laughs) Oh, I don't even. I live in the Lehigh Valley, which is not the same or even. Where is that really? I know that. that oh, name. that would be the Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton area. Holy shit. You live really far away. <laughs> he moved oh, away. He moved away for love, didn't you, Liam? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I kept, I was visiting a woman out there for a while, and that's like an hour and 10 minute drive. Rob, when you say visiting a woman, <laughs> could you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, I met her on OkCupid. Okay oh, yeah. Nothing happened. <laughs> hmm. 
Yeah, and then she moved to Portland. Which you didn't get to put your John in her John. <laughs> Doug, what? Can you not? Yeah, I don't get out of here and start talking shit about maple leaves and shit. You were before we started recording talking shit about my home province at length. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. You, you know, know, I couldn't even find that shit on a map, right? Like, it is the farthest eastern of- point in North America. It has its own time zone, which is super fucked, and <laughs> that is where I'm from. Is that why you sort of mentioned seven Eastern for this or eight Eastern for this? <laughs> I actually, that's mostly because we sometimes have people on in different time zones. And if I give them the wrong time, they're going to be upset because I don't like wasting people's time unless it's about, it's having them sit down and listen to me and Liam talk about <laughs> his wedding costs. Well, is anybody in the same time zone as you? Everyone's in Eastern time zone. No, you are too. I think you just you're in your own time zone. No, no, no. I'm not. In the, listen, fuckhead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in Newfoundland now. It's where I'm from. It's like Liam. He keeps telling people he's from Philadelphia, but he doesn't live in Philadelphia. His John is wherever Allentown is. Closer to Philadelphia, though, than you are to Newfoundland now. Boy, that pronunciation is not going to make me very happy. (laughs) Fuck fuck Canada. (laughs) Look, everything in Canada is spread out really far, um, including your mom's pussy. (laughs) Sorry. You're going to have to edit that shit out. (laughs) Why, Ethan, would you do that? Rob, Rob Marvin, why are you on a podcast about Eric Roberts? I don't know. I'm guessing I was just your last resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the thing. Today we're covering Celebrity Rehab uh, Season 4, Episodes 6 to 10, which is the back half, the the finishing uh, episodes of that Celebrity Rehab season that we started on the most recent episode, number 27, uh, with Danny Bowes. But who the fuck is going to want to watch the second half of a season of something? So I had, to, sure didn't. I, had, I had to offer this to somebody who I knew was not going to say no. So that's why... <laughs> That's why Rob Marvin – actually, the truth is that uh, Rob Marvin's uh, podcast, Undressing the Underground, is a lot of fun. Uh, and it's really good and you should check it out. And I was on it previously and uh, I know that Rob is a very good speaker and he speaks his mind and he was going to uh, be very honest about his opinions about celebrity rehab. So that's why you're on, Rob, but also because you weren't going to say no. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about Eric Roberts, Rob? I mean – I didn't really know anything about him until you were on my podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah, in fact, I think you might have been surprised by some of the things I said on that podcast. Like he's the brother of Julia Roberts. Yeah, and he's the 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 father of uh, mm-hmm. what's the other Roberts? Emma person? Roberts. Yeah, the star of something. Yeah, I remember yeah, reading like Nickelodeon magazine or something that she was the niece of Julia Roberts, but I never put it together until you said it. Yeah, well, here's the thing. If someone is the niece of Julia Roberts and Eric Roberts is the brother of Julia Roberts, then it's possible that Eric Roberts is the father of Emma Roberts. Is that how that works? Mm, I'm just I'm just mapping it out for you. What's your favorite Eric Roberts movie, Rob? I literally have no fucking idea. I don't think I've ever watched a movie where I was aware he was in it. Yeah, but you did see The Dark Knight uh, yeah. Returns. What is, that what, is that what it's called? <laughs> no, he was in the, the one before in, that. Yeah, Dark Knight. The yeah. Dark Knight. Yeah, you saw The Dark Knight? Yes, I did. Yeah, what would you think of that? Um, I mean, I like Batman, mm-hmm. and I liked it at the time, but I haven't seen it since, but sure. <laughs> I liked it. Rob Marvin, your podcast is called Undressing the Underground. No, it's called Undressing Underground. <laughs> oh, it's not Undressing the Underground? You can call it that if you want. I mean, I did I fuck it up every time I've said it so far? Yeah, I just didn't say anything because I hate the name either way, so... Okay, so why is it called Undressing Underground? Because uh, it, it kind of suggests like someone has gone underground and just removed all their clothes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, 
it's something that sounded right at the time, mm-hmm. and then immediately after I was embarrassed by. But when I started it, I thought I should continue humiliating myself, so I just continued to use the name and continue doing shit that would humiliate myself. Like, I don't know anything. Podcast. I don't know anything about titling a podcast that you later sort of regret because maybe you put a big swear word right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed that, like that you. Everything you online refers to as Eric Roberts is the man, it seems like. Well, it's, for one thing, ericrobertsisthefuckingman.com was an unwieldy <laughs> URL. <laughs> but also, I figured that it's um, – that, you know, we, we have a lot of kids who listen to the show. I'm sure. <laughs> we have to be sure to – you know, we, and that's why we don't swear on the actual episodes. Oh, we don't. We don't? No, not ever. No. Never. <laughs> um. Guys, <laughs> so you don't know anything about Eric Roberts? No, I mean I do from this podcast, right? Right, because you're a listener of the podcast. I mean, occasionally, yes. I didn't know you had a new co-host, but I do listen sometimes. <laughs> it actually you would be you didn't know that I existed, <laughs> even though and... we've talked before. I'm so insulted right now. No, I knew you existed. I didn't know you were on this and told us to. I was like, oh, it's that guy I talked to on Twitter once. Um. And it's funny. It's, it's funny to refer to Liam as as a new co-host because I think at this point, Liam, that you've almost hosted as many episodes as the first co-host. I know, but when you start with someone, I mean, if you think about it, that's how things go. Like if you were in a band, you know, like <laughs> clearly everyone thinks of the Misfits with Glenn Danzig, but they've put out more records without Glenn Danzig. So yeah, but those records suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or relevant, there's Allison Chains with Mike Starr, who was in something that rehab. is super relevant because he so clean, relevant. he cleaned himself up, and that is yeah. really important. Uh, and it's really it's an inspiring story. And we don't want to talk about the fact that he died of a drug overdose the year after he. Oh was fuck, it. that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that because I have a friend that met him at a show once. I forget what it was, but uh, yeah, and he was not doing well then either. Not to, not to make light again of the fact that people relapse after uh, drug treatment, but with that thought in mind, let's talk about the latest Roberts report. It's the Roberts Report for episode number 28 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Uh, And we start off with some very exciting news from (laughs) canyon-news.com. There is an article called, I don't know why it's titled this, but it's titled Eric Roberts, Dark Figure, But Exciting. (laughs) And it's not, it hasn't been translated from some sort of foreign language. This is what they decided to go with. It is a very brief interview with Eric Roberts. And, um... In it, uh, the the interviewer asks him about the fact that he does so much work and how uh, and how he he does a lot of like short films and low budget films. And this is what Eric Roberts has to say. And I'll do this in my best Eric Roberts draw. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I'm an actor. Those who are picky and feel they should only get the so called major titles many times end up back on soap operas, which, by the way, Eric Roberts has done. <laughs> I love acting. I love the challenge of characters or stories to life. Okay. It's like being a teacher or professor lecturing to people in a classroom, and it's damn exciting. When you see that you're getting through to them, it's like hearing all the noise and fireworks during 4th of July. Those people will go home filled with a new understanding of life, of themselves, and that's what a good book is about. That's what education should be about, and I love the challenge. And uh, and that's what Eric Roberts does by appearing in a lot 
of different projects. Again, so many projects, an exhausting number of projects. Uh, this article ends by saying, Eric Roberts is clearly an actor. <laughs> the idea of bringing a character to life and making people think about themselves and how they are evolving in this confusing world, in quotation marks, of constant upheavals is the kind of challenge he looks forward to. Dash, after all, Eric is an actor, all in, all in uh, capital letters. So is Eric Roberts an actor? I'm going to throw that over to you, Rob. I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you think, so. Liam? Uh, one, of, one of the greatest. One of the greatest what? Act, he's the greatest, one of the greatest actors. Not only, <laughs> not only is he an actor, but he's one of the greatest of the that category, which you have said, which is actor. I thought that article was pretty ridiculous when I saw it <laughs> today. I, just, yeah. I like that movies still have to live up to books in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope Eric Roberts' debut novel will be out in 2017. We will look forward to that. I just want to know what he was teaching me in Dark Moon Rising. Like, I just want to know what he thought the lesson of life was of that movie. He was teaching people on the set. That's what he was teaching. He was teaching them uh, that their werewolf movie. <laughs> you need to tell people Billy Blanks is in this movie. <laughs> What about chicks dig gay guys? What was chicks he teaching in that? <laughs> you did listen to a Liam O'Donnell I episode did. earlier today. Yes. <laughs> God damn it! I don't even want to think about that movie. So here's something that's really, actually, legitimately interesting. Johnny Dare is the host of some sort of morning radio show in the United States, and on June 1st, he tweeted out something very interesting. He was telling us what was going to be on that day's show. So he starts with, "On today's show, this is the direct quote from his tweet." On today's show, the website of the day, http colon slash slash jimmyjane.com, adult toy website featuring the Hello Touch X electro stimulator. Then he followed that up with actor slash friend of the show, Eric Roberts, movie compadres in limited release. We've talked about compadres on recent episodes, as well as stocked by my doctor Two coming soon to the Lifetime Network. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can clap at home too, folks, because you, uh, longtime listeners, will know that we were very, very excited about listening, listening, watching Stocked by My Doctor on Lifetime. It was actually incredibly entertaining. One of my favorite movies of 2016, and I think it actually uh, played maybe in 2015, but it's great. You have to see Stocked by My Doctor, the first one. And the promise of more Stocked by My Doctor 2 is a dream that is Almost impossible to envision, yet it seems like it's going to be happening. Tell me, Liam, are you excited about Stock by My Doctor 2? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, well, that is the excitement level I expect. <laughs> uh, I meant that to sound sincere, not unexcited. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Hide your American Girl dolls. Stocked by My Doctor 2 coming soon. <laughs> Rob Marvin, have you seen Stock by My Doctor 1? Uh, no. You should see it! If you have me back for two, I'll fucking watch it. Yeah, of course. I hope that they play them back to back. That would actually be a really smart decision. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm no programmer of Lifetime, but if I was, I'd play them both back to back. If I were Exhumed Films, I would do a double feature in Philadelphia. They would never. I know, but still, it would be digital, so it wouldn't matter. Over on the CrossTimbersGazette.com, <laughs> there's an article titled Flower Mound Actress Shines Light on Sex Trafficking. And Flower Mound is a place? (laughs) It sounds like something filthy, but it's not. No, this is about that movie that we talked about uh, several episodes back called Unbridled, which is uh, about horse therapy for emotionally damaged 
young women. It's actually about a woman who is the victim of sex trafficking, which is not a laughing matter. Uh, but a school friend helps her uh, guide her to a safe place, which uses therapy horses. Unbridled uh, is in post-production at the moment and is scheduled for a fall release. And it does include in the cast one Mr. Eric Roberts. And it says here, uh, star of, oh, not star of, a feature, who was featured in The Dark Knight, The Expendables, and Suits, among many other films and TV series, which is very accurate. So this uh, film is it was made by Moving Visions Entertainment, and I decided to look up Moving Visions Entertainment to see what their deal was, and uh, their mandate, according to their Facebook page, and not their website, which fucking sucks. Their <laughs> Facebook se- page says, "We believe that storytelling is a magnificent and compelling means of conveying deep truths, and that the medium of film uniquely uniquely harnesses harnesses get it almost all other arts in a way that can make those truths unforgettable." Moving Visions Entertainment, Inc. is committed to creating and distributing visually appealing, emotionally captivating, and utterly unforgettable feature films with wholesome, uplifting messages. Yes, folks, you are right. It's a Christian movie company. (laughs) Uh, And Unbridled, I don't know if it has any uh, overarching Christian message to it, but certainly uh, Moving Visions' previous films have won awards at Christian movie uh, festivals. That doesn't mean it's bad. There are good Christian movies out there. Let me tr- let me try to think like of the Exorcist. one. Like The Exorcist, which I didn't believe in God when I saw The Exorcist. And afterwards, I was scared. Um, Liam. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> are you more excited for Unbridled, which, again, we have to see because we made a blood oath, um, or that MMA movie starring Lee Majors, Fred Williamson, and Eric Roberts? Oh, probably the MMA one only because Lee Majors. But uh, honestly, either one of those sound like horrifying prospects. I mean, I will watch them because it's my blood duty, but uh, I'm not excited about either of those things. It's interesting you say that because these are faith-based movies and you're a faith-based human. (laughs) Sure, that's fair. It's fair. I have another uh, news the, item. The, the the last the last religious movie I watched was uh the you know the Passion of Joan of Arc. Like that's that's a good that's name. a little bit that's a little bit more up my alley. That's than, a masterpiece. Than... So I guess I shouldn't mock the faith based cinema that I've been mocking since the beginning of this show. I mean, it, I think there's a lot there to mock. It's fine. Got to move quickly through some of these articles here at the uh, QGazette.com. It mentions seventy nine parts. Opening in Soho, 79 Parts is the name of the film at the Soho International Film Festival, which features Eric Roberts, Sandra Bernard, and Tony Lobienko. Uh, that actually is opening June 12th at the Village East Cinema uh, in Manhattan. So why don't you go take a look at 79 Parts, which of course will be featured in an upcoming episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Uh, recently released on DVD is Eternity, the movie, which is writer, editor, director Ian Thorpe's award-winning feature debut, which chronicles the rise and fall of Barrett Craig and Michael Olivier as an 80s-era pop duo. It seems like it's uh, like a um, comedic take on... <laughs> comedic take, I was going to say, on uh, This is Spinal Tap, but that is a com- comedy. So <laughs> yeah, no, it, right. I think it's one of those kind of bio-joke things maybe even like that movie that lonely um island movie that's out pre- uh, at the moment pop star? yeah pop star uh but this is uh, i guess uh, a holland oats ish duo and uh the cast includes eric roberts uh john grease from um all sorts of things like terror vision uh napoleon dynamite uh real genius 
Martin Cove, who has been appearing with Eric Roberts in lots of stuff, and uh, Martin's son, Jesse, is in the cast. So um, it's uh, out right now. So we'll take a look for Eternity, the movie, very soon. But I wanted to rush through those because recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is a film called Las Vegas, Vietnam, the movie. <laughs> which is to be released in 2017. Uh, it's from actor-producer-director Ron Beck, who, if you go to his IMDb page, his personal quote is, to do good is my religion and love is my God. Like you, love God. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Las Vegas, Vietnam, the movie, which is its full title, by the way, its uh, tagline is, four gangs rule Las Vegas. Black... <laughs> White, Asian, Mexican, only one will win, or will they, in this comedy, drama, ghost story. <laughs> God damn it. It features one Mr. Eric Roberts as, in quotations, mob boss, as well as, and this is so strange, legendary comic book writer Peter David as Frank Sinatra. Uh, I can't even, look... I love Peter David as a writer. He wrote some of the best Incredible Hulk comics, which is a very nerdy thing for me to say. But I don't see him as Frank Sinatra. And uh, <laughs> when I saw his name listed in this, these credits, I was like, that can't be the same Peter David. But it is. Except maybe it's not. Maybe they've just fucked up when they put it on IMDb. But keep your eyes open for Las Vegas, Vietnam, the movie. It sounds <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> But that's it. That's all. Then we have to, to close up the Eric Roberts news today. Um, I do want to uh, say once again, as I prefaced on the on the previous episode, even though we will be talking about celebrity rehab in a very light manner on this uh, episode, episode number twenty eight, uh, we are not trying to take down or mock the process of people trying to get help from drug addiction. Uh, obviously, therapy is very good and useful, and there are. So there's so much testimony regarding uh, people getting clean and finding their way again uh, that we are not here to knock that process. What we will knock is the idea of turning it into an exploitative television series and the methods that they use on that series and some of the people that are involved in it and perhaps their motivations as well. So I just wanted to say that first so we are covered when we say something totally shitty (laughs) (laughs) about Dr. Drew in just a couple of minutes. Speaking of couple of minutes... Let's take our first break. When we return, Celebrity Rehab Season 4. Let's finish this fucker off. Rob Marvin will be joining us. Liam will be here as always. Be back with you in a momo. You thought the leaden winter would bring you down forever But you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun And the colors of the sea Find your eyes with trembling mermaids And you touch the distant beaches With tales of brave Ulysses How his naked ears were tortured By the sirens sweetly singing For the sparkling waves are calling you To kiss the white lace No, I'll I'll fucking intro it. Okay. Okay, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, you tell us that we're back. <laughs> and we're back. 
<laughs> Episode number 28 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man continues with our discussion of Season 4 of Celebrity Rehab. Yeah, we're going to finish this sucker off today. And to help us finish this off is, of course, one Mr. Rob Marvin. It is still uh, about the uh, cleaning up efforts of a series of celebrities with the help of one Mr. Dr. Drew. Um, and all of our complaints... Uh, that were in the most previous episode, they continue. They still remain. This is still a show that I have many, many issues with. But I want to hear, I want to hear an, a different opinion. I want to hear someone say why this is a good show. Uh, and so, Rob, you love Celebrity Rehab. <laughs> is that correct? Uh, let's go with that. Sure. Okay. So you love the whole process. Of Celebrity Rehab. Why don't you tell me kind of your general thoughts on the show from what you've seen, which is the (laughs) back half five episodes from season four. I mean, I feel like I missed a lot of the bullshit. Yeah, you you did. You did. But there was still more bullshit. There was. But I don't know. It's uh, it's rough because. I I definitely felt manipulated by the show. (laughs) Like I felt like. I like I would see those uh, coming up next on some rehab and there would be like somebody arguing some point and I'd be like, yeah, they have a point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would create my own points in my head and then immediately they come back and Dr. Drew would immediately destroy all of them. So I feel like they were just planting thoughts in my head for Dr. Drew to destroy and lend more credence to the show, uh, which isn't a positive thing to say, I guess. But um it's definitely, I mean, as far as positives go, if we're really going that route, it's sure. definitely a very emotional, emotionally raw show. And I definitely get a lot of where the people on it are at and coming from. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a rough watch. It is a rough watch. And you're right. In fact, I don't think we really talked in detail about kind of the raw emotionality of the show. There's a lot of crying on this show, and it's very sincere crying, right? There's a lot of people, like, choking on their own emotions, even. Um, And especially because it's not just... It's not just the therapy of kind of digging into your past. It's combined with people in physical pain and distress because of them coming off a lot of these substances. And it's people who kind of... Sometimes they're very guarded, and it's as if they're trying not to reveal something. But even within that, they reveal a lot about themselves. Uh, now, Rob, who was your least favorite participant in the episodes that you saw? <laughs> I actually don't remember anybody's name. Well, I'll tell you. Well, I, I do have them all in the notes that I gave you and that you should have in front of your face right now. <laughs> I, but I don't. I read them when I was at work uh, while people were being fired around me, but I didn't. Uh... <laughs> so wait, you were doing something unrelated to work while being surrounded by people being fired? Yeah, people that were good at their job, too. It was kind of scary. But, um, Did you get I, fired? I, no, I, I hope not. <laughs> um, maybe, your work, maybe your work is doing one of, you know that movie Major League where the baseball team <laughs> decides that they're going to like intentionally fail? Right? Oh, no, wait. they're supposed to fail, but they ended up doing well. But the idea is that they have to do badly. Maybe they're keeping like guys like you at your work so uh, the whole business goes under and maybe it's a tax thing. Isn't that the producers as well? That's sort of like the producers as well. Yeah. Boy, this parallel between the producers and Major League and your actual life is something that we should dig into a little more in the future. But In my pockets if anybody listened to it, but still. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, <laughs> Rob, who did you like least on this season of Celebrity Rehab? 
Um, you can just describe the person and I'll throw in the name. I don't know. Like, I really, it felt like at this point, everybody was fairly on point, except for the guy who was somehow younger than me or was younger than me at the time. Now that, you're you're re- re- referring to something that we talked about before we started recording. Yeah, I don't care, <laughs> but still. <laughs> That's one Jason Davis, actor slash socialite. Yeah, uh, the guy from Recess. From Recess, yes. That's another thing we discussed. He did one of the voices on the TV series Recess. Jason Davis is a total fucking mess, um, and he refused to get aftercare uh, and they were really stressing. That's actually one of the kind of things I liked about this. It seemed like the show itself recognizes how bad it is at uh, getting people help. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe it's both a insurance thing and a um, <laughs> a conscience thing where it's like these people are going to need more help than the show is going to provide. So most of them are going into some sort of aftercare program afterwards. And Jason Davis refused to. And why did he refuse, Rob? Uh, because... You can say I it. thought he had it under control. Oh, right? I thought you were just going to say because he's a complete asshole. Well, yeah, <laughs> he is. I mean, he's young. He's he's like, it's so weird. Like, it felt weird that he was younger than I am now because he looked so much older. Like, he looked so defeated and destroyed. There is uh, a part where they say that he has the body of an 80-year-old. There is. They repeat that many times, yeah. too. <laughs> and then later when he gets kind of upset about everyone telling him that he's going to die, I could kind of see his point. <laughs> but... It does yeah. really seem like I'm like I looking He's him diabetic, up. Yeah, yeah. It no, seems. I mean, in a different situation, I could get his point of like, man, why does everybody bring up that I might die? But you're a motherfucking diabetic who uses heroin. Like, it's not like people. It's not like you ride a bike without a helmet, and everywhere you go, people are like, you're gonna die. It's like you're literally dying. Like the situation could only be worse if maybe. Actually, I don't even know what he could... Maybe if he owned wild beasts unchained in his house, that would be possibly more dangerous. Well, t- I, can yeah. still, I can still totally understand where he's coming from, though, because regardless of where you are, like you're still you. I mean, whatever anybody says about you doesn't matter in, is to you, really. So like, just hearing that over and over again is exhausting, I imagine, even if it's true. You know what it's I'm, probably like? It's probably like um, George R.R. R. Martin. you know how everyone keeps saying look you got to finish your book because you're going to die and like everyone just mentions to him over and over how he's going to die and yeah (laughs) we're all dying man but just to be reminded of your own mortality because people want something from you that's really bad but that really doesn't play into what we're talking about here i was gonna say are you like (laughs) defending him as people want to live so (laughs) i mean i mean here's the thing like dude is in rehab again it's not like this is a show about his hangout life, and then people just keep bringing up that he's going to die. Like their only job is to make sure to tr- to do what little they can, which in this show is very little, mm-hmm. that his life changes. And we know for a fact that they basically fail. So the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, "Don't waste your breath, guys. This is not going to work out for you." So one Wait, of the sorry, we know he sorry, we know he failed. Well, he has been busted. I think he got busted in 2011 for possession. Um, so he got he him and his, I look. I want to know what was happening right now. Sure. A few months ago, him and his brother got arrested for stealing a car and crashing oh. it. He also, oh. I think, beat up someone on a red carpet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we shouldn't laugh. It's actually horrible to even no, think I- about. Um, but the the beginning of one of these episodes, or one of the first of of the uh, episodes that we're covering here, involves Jason Davis in some detail. He starts out by hiding like. Uh, they explain that in the context of the rehab center, they take away their phones 
at night. Uh, and in fact, they're they're restricted to a certain amount of time using those phones per day, which seems kind of loose, to be totally honest with you. Uh, but Jason Davis unbelievably tried to get away by saying that he lost his phone. <laughs> and then, you know, again, forgetting that they are on camera at all times, was in bed using his phone under his blanket, where he was apparently telling people outside that he was being held against his will. Those people started to drive around in circles around the rehab center uh, and left just before he came out to meet them. And then they ended up calling the cops on the rehab center saying that he was being held against his will. Okay. One thing, the shots of the cars were those the actual cars because they're like really well shot shots of these fucking cars are supposed to be like being inconspicuous, like waiting for him. Look, I don't take anything with with the assurance that what we're watching is reality on a reality <laughs> television show, they did blur the faces of the people within those cars. That car, I should say. Oh, I didn't notice that. I yeah, noticed they, like they, the drug deal, obviously, the 15 times they showed that. <laughs> look, any corner in Los Angeles, California, just go on every corner and you can, yeah. you can score. The <laughs> only, the only part of that setup that felt really legit is like when the cops are asking him if he is being held against his will. And he's like, kind of equivocating like he's not he's not saying yes or no and the one cop goes so you're not being held against your will i was like oh that moment was real that was a real thing <laughs> that, that is a cop a... who did not expect to be on camera right now and also is fucking pissed here's the thing about that scene why are there five cops there like what? That's what happens no i've had the cops call to me for like complete bullshit but, tell me um, one of these times rob uh okay you really want to know so yeah. i was like a teenager yeah, yeah. And uh, my mom called the cops on me for things she exaggerated. Um, now, what did she say you were doing? She said I shoved her okay. when really I asked her to leave my room and pressed on her shoulder with like one finger. It does sound like you're trying to kind of downplay the whole situation, but please continue. It does sound like that, but that's genuinely how I remember it. Might not be how she remembers it, but who knows how she remembers anything. But um, so yeah this is getting really fucking awful <laughs> um, by the way this is a, there's a great parallel to what you're saying right now to something that eric roberts talks about a little bit later so we'll get back to that oh my god that's insane but um, yeah so three or four cop cars show up for that and uh yeah like in my like cul-de-sac and block up the entire street for that one thing and they come nothing happens and they leave so like i do believe the idea of like just multiple cops being sh- uh sent to one place for something that's not a serious threat really i guess i i mean you uh, you uh, that actually makes a lot of sense i did i was surprised with the number of cops in this particular case and i figured it either had something to do with it being a tv series or it being a billionaire, <laughs> <laughs> right. a white billionaire, name, I should yeah. say. <laughs> but so they come and they say, hey, are you being held against your will? And he's like, oh, nah. uh, and then he's like, yeah, not really. And then they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Which totally sounds real to me as well, actually. There's, but... someone, there's someone like two blocks away getting stabbed to death at that moment. So good one, Jason Davis. Uh, so he's an annoying piece of shit, and uh, I don't particularly care for him as a person as he's nope. displayed in this television series. But another one of the inhabitants I want to talk about, and we did talk about him uh, for for quite a bit on the last episode, is one Mr. Jeremy London, star of Party of Five, Seventh Heaven, and All Fly Away. Jeremy London is usually presented as as the voice of reason 
in this uh, show. In fact, we find out at the very end that he had prepared for aftercare before he even went into the rehab center. They applauded his initiative in regards to that. He doesn't seem that tempted. I mean, he's addicted to marijuana and painkillers, but he seems like he's going to figure his shit out. Uh, spoiler alert, he didn't. Um, but uh, But honestly, I think last time... I mentioned that Jeremy London, I often get him confused with Jason London, his twin brother, who was in Days of Confused and, uh, and uh, Mallrats. And, and I, I always thought of Jeremy London as the good London. But the truth is that they both have fucked up continually <laughs> since they were famous. Um, but Jeremy London on this show, in the back half, some, some really strange stuff happens on this show. Is but, he the one that is ex-wife or ex-girlfriend? Yes. Like, okay. His ex-wife, the mother of his child... I don't think they're divorced yet at the time. Right. That's true. Because, in fact, they right. even mentioned that. She is in rehab, I believe, at the same time that he's in rehab. Uh, that's what they mentioned. Like She's in a simultaneous rehab center somewhere else. So they're both trying to kick stuff. She shows up in the bushes. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm saying this. Outside <laughs> the rehab center. Wait. No, no, no. She's – this is this is one of the things that's ridiculous about this. So the, the center <laughs> – it has one wing that's for TV. That's the TV wing that he's in. <laughs> right. She's in the same facility, just a different oh, wing. Oh, okay. And apparently yeah. they share a fence. And so she's just basically oh. shoving her face through the fence <laughs> to be like, hey, J- hey Jeremy. And the my favorite part about that is actually not that what she's doing isn't awkward. It's very awkward. But the fact that she's just over the fence and he's always going, my fucking ex. Wow, oh, this lady, she's so crazy. And I'm like, you don't think she could hear you, man? Like, I've, I've, I don't know. I mean, I have talked some shit in my life, but I don't know that I've ever been right next to a fence. She's like over the fence, and I'm just like, she's a crazy person. You know, like I don't know that I've done that. Now that that whole sequence is so strange. And by the way, that makes a lot more sense the way you described it, Liam. I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention because it's celebrity rehab. Yeah, um, no, I don't. I don't know why I was. I'm really embarrassed. So Jeremy London is very upset because he recently discovered some important information through some sort of tax form uh, <laughs> that that his wife was paid money, and that money came from the National Enquirer, and it. <laughs> Coincidentally, recently there was a story in the National Enquirer, uh, recently at the time of this filming, which uh, which printed the uh, restraining order that she had against him and included a lot of lascivious details about their relationship. And he says that it destroyed his career. <laughs> they, the way that this show approaches this material is very strange because it's super sympathetic with Jeremy, right? Yeah. Um, all the people are like, look, that's so horrible, that thing that she did. And it, it is horrible. And they have a very contentious relationship. But like when they're showing the National Enquirer article, some of the stuff she said he did is really fucking awful. Like him, <laughs> yeah. him like beating the hell out of her in front of the kid and stuff like that. And they don't even entertain the idea that any of that might be true. Yeah, uh, they don't challenge it when they're in the, in the therapy yeah. thing. Yeah, it, 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 the, so they bring his wife into the, the therapy session, just kind of a, a, a two-on-one with Dr. Drew. And aside from Jeremy saying some shitty things under his breath, <laughs> it doesn't seem like anything at all got resolved. No. Yeah. I mean, it really felt like at that point in the process, they're just kind of like, can we just move past this so we can like move on with our show? Because <laughs> our focus here is on Jeremy's rehab, not on your relationship, which we don't really care about. 
it, it was very it was it was awkwardly done and even the way they that part was handled because as you said in other parts of the show jeremy seems more rational than the other people sure. and then in that scene she's like well i just don't think he should say bad things about me in front of our child and he's like well i don't and she's like well you do and he's like no I don't, and then you're like, oh, so this is where we're at. We're in the yes, you do, no, I don't say, say stage of therapy. It uh, it is. I, I found that to be extra. <laughs> it's funny to refer to anything as exploitative on the show because it all is right, yeah. kind of from top to bottom. You feel like you're seeing something you shouldn't see because you shouldn't be watching it because it's not <laughs> helping them for us to be watching it. Uh, I mean, the idea of the concept of all of these people being in rehab makes total sense, but the idea of putting a camera on person at their lowest moment or as they're approaching their lowest moment or, you know, it, I know it's supposed to be inspiring, but I went through so much, like a circle, a cycle of emotions when I'm watching it, which goes from despair and depression to like a mm-hmm. lot of anger towards the, the creators of the show to a lot mm-hmm. of sympathy for the individual people in it and also just kind of frustration at how I am both sympathetic and I fucking despise almost everybody in this house. <laughs> well, and especially the mix of problems like, you know, uh, as annoying as Jason Davis is, Leaf Garrett was sometimes between annoying and not annoying. But these people have like serious, serious issues yeah. that could kill them. Like they could just leave the show and die. As as was evidenced by you know the last time we talked about this, there's a number of people who have died who are on this show. Yeah. So that part just makes it I don't understand how people are getting entertainment out of it, even though I at some level get the idea of like annoying people can be entertaining. This context for that annoyance is not entertaining. Let us talk about a specific episode of this of this run, which involves former uh, attendees, <laughs> former participants on Celebrity Rehab, coming back to basically give a pep talk to our current participants. Um, Liam, who are the three people who show up? Well, there's the gentleman who was in Alice in Chains, mm-hmm. uh, who I believe uh, passed away shortly after this recording. Of him or something like that. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this dude. There was a what's it? Who's the? I don't know the woman's name. It was. It was. Um, oh, what is her name? Come on, spit it out. Uh, Mac Mackenzie, maybe or something like that. Mackenzie Phillips. Mackenzie Phillips. How the do daughter, I, know, I didn't. The daughter of John John Phillips is it from the Mamas and the Papas? Oh, oh right, right, right. Holy shit, that was depressing. Well, it got more depressing. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but a few. I think it was after the show. They certainly didn't talk about it during the episode. It was discovered that they had a sexual relationship for like uh, uh, a decade. Yeah. Um, the father and, and daughter. Uh, <laughs> so outside of her scoring drugs, they all – I mean talk about fucking disgusting. Um, yeah. I mean honestly, I actually have a lot of respect for her. She actually has done a lot to try to clean herself up. She actually was a very talented actress when she was like a child actor. Um, and and um, it's hard to – it's it's really affecting to know the kind of shit that she went through as the daughter of a uh, rock star, right? I mean, Mamas and the Papas, a folk rock star. I mean, yeah, they did a they did a California Dreamin', right? Yeah, that's right. Very good, yeah. Mamas and the Papas. Yeah, like that's a huge song. Like it's all over that one. Uh, what's his name? Song, movie. Um, yeah, look at my here. 
Okay. I always fucking remember it. The Chinese director that Tarantino brought to America pretty much with Chunking Express. What the fuck is his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That... What the fuck? God, it's killing me now. Chunking Express, that's right. Yeah. God damn. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, we'll get back to that. But there's also one other person. Liam, who is it? Liam. Oh, fuck. It is Tom Sizemore. Yeah, Tom Sizemore. Oh, oh that's my. right. Was right. On, I'm like, uh, and I there there was there was a lot when Tom Sizemore was on. They managed to catch on camera a lot of him and Eric Roberts being like, "Yo, man, yo, man," like like they were like <laughs> buddies, and I was like, "Oh, Eric Roberts and Tom Sizemore." They've perfect. been in, in uh, even up to that point had been in a couple of projects together. Yep. Since then, they've been in something like I was looking this up yesterday. I think they've made seven movies together since then. Yeah, yeah. Because Tom Sizemore is in a similar um, situation. As Eric Roberts, in that he does a lot of work and does small appearances in larger works as well. In fact, he's going to be in the um, the uh, sequel series to Twin Peaks coming up. Um, oh. Yeah, which is exciting. I mean, it, I like Tom Sizemore a lot. I think he's a great actor. And I mean, he, he for those who don't know who I'm talking about, Tom Sizemore was in pr- pretty much every major 90s movie, including <laughs> Natural Born Killers and Saving Private Ryan. And he was he was a standout performer in a lot of those movies. And he hit bottom hard after that. Lots of drug abuse. I think he has a sex tape out there, um, which is odd to think about. But in this show, he really does seem to be very sober thinking. Uh, I was on his Twitter page today and honestly he seems like he's the kind of guy that i really do hope comes back you know and 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 gets those opportunities again because he really is a really talented guy seeing him on this show is still kind of depressing to me he's he was sort of i guess the eric roberts of his season um (laughs) except with much deeper problems to be totally honest not to discount what eric roberts was going through but uh but yeah so so these three celebrities sort of give a testimonial about what it's like to clean up and, you know, the kind of, 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 of clawing back their career afterwards. And that is sobering, but also distressing because one of the people involved, as, uh, as you mentioned, um, Liam, it passed away the year after this from a relapse. Again, I am not trying to discount people who clean up and then relapse. This, you know, it, 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 it is something that happens quite a bit, it has happened a lot with, with cast members, on this show, but it's just kind of a sober reminder as you're watching the episode that this is not the fix that a lot of these people need. And I don't use that word fix in uh, in any sort of comical context. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's, it's the reason it matters to me is not because it's like humorous, but just because the show, I mean, at the very end of the show, Dr. Drew strikes a little bit of like a, well, you know, now it's up to them to take the tools that we've given them. But leading up to that, a lot of the show, he kind of presents himself like, I'm going to fix you. I've got the solution. I've got the. And it, it, it doesn't seem like such a short. I mean, it's a short period of time. A lot of what they do feels like bullshit. And so many of the people who come onto the show, you know, there's so many other motivations for people to come onto the show. Like, right getting paid that it's hard to for him to the way they treat it is not like hey we're on this show and we want to do some good but who knows what'll happen there's a there 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 comes across a little bit like dr drew's the fucking man and you better deal with how great he is and on this podcast there's only one man who can be (laughs) i do find it funny that when people are threatening to walk off the show the natural response to that would be well you're not going to get paid if you walk off but they never leave that on the show um 
And and I mean, you don't really get that impression that they are getting paid for it because they don't ever mention it. But I mean, that has to be a large motivator for some of the people who stay in the house. I imagine yeah. the but have been for most of them. Yeah, right. You would think there is uh, there sorry. is. No, no, it's, you are the guest. Please <laughs> enlighten us with your thoughts. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that's I think that's one of the one pauses of the show is that maybe some of the people on there wouldn't be in rehab at all if it right. wasn't for the motivator factor of, well, the ego boost as well as the money paid. So, I mean, I don't I don't I have mixed feelings about the show overall. Like, I feel like it's not all bad entirely that it's getting these people to acknowledge. Something. I don't think I wish I knew more about the how that all plays out because i hate the thought of okay you are fresh out of rehab you now have to enter the world again here's a check for a hundred thousand dollars what are you gonna do do you really think it's that much uh, i i think i saw the number for rachel uh uchitel um who who we'll talk about in just a little bit and her number i think was 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 something in those in those lines wow that's a lot of money it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money hey even I'd probably be able to handle a, a month in rehab with these folks for that amount of money. Um, I would definitely do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, it's it's that to me. There's a real big question mark. Like, what do they have to? What do they have to do? What do they have to deliver in order to get the money for being on this show? Right? Is it just to exist? Do they have to be open during the therapy sessions? Right? Like, is there is there a big list of things that they have to have? Uh, in order to be worthy of that money. And the other thing is, are there side deals on the table? And we're going to get into that after our break because <laughs> this there's something that's really bugging me about these episodes. And mm-hmm. I know Liam is feeling it too. And Rob, we're going to talk about it. I, I, I don't want to throw accusations around. And I don't want to say something that is going to get me in trouble as a uh, Eric Roberts-based uh, <laughs> podcast. But there's something kind of irritating that happens in the episodes that we watched here. And let's take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about it because it'll take me a little bit to work through. Uh, But yeah, let's take a break, and in a minute we'll continue with Celebrity Rehab. Season four of Celebrity Rehab. Yeah, we're going to finish this off for good. After <laughs> after this conversation, we're never going to have to talk, discuss in any way Celebrity Rehab ever again. And frankly, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Two episodes is already too many, which yeah. I'm rapidly finding out. Um, the final couple of episodes of season four of Celebrity Rehab, um, there is a really noticeable winding down. They're not as dramatic there is more testimonials involved. There's actually a really affecting part where Dr. Drew is basically wants to demonstrate to those in the house that are not uh, choosing to do aftercare 
he brings them to this what appears to be like a school gymnasium, and a, uh, a, a parents, a father and mother, they tell the story of their son, their college age son, who uh, overdosed, and they. <laughs> Even even within the story, which again is a very painful story, it's very sincere. Even within this, I I felt manipulated because the whole thing is them saying all this like that their son died, where the twist at the end is that their son didn't die, but that he is now a, like a, a quadriplegic and he cannot really communicate outside of like uh, yes and no answers, even though he apparently can understand things quite well, and. That part, I, actually, I think is maybe the most effective part of this entire series because it has nothing to do with the celebrities. It's just real people telling their story, uh, and it's a real example of what can happen when drug addiction goes out of control and people spiral. And it, it really is a, a kind of a well-done sequence. But like I said, even within that, I felt manipulated. That then leads into the final episode, which is sort of a graduation where uh, this isn't the kind of show where it ends and then it says uh, five, like three months later, this happened. No, we're all supposed to feel very good about where all of these people are going after the show finishes because, you know, you're supposed to have a kind of a touchy feely feel. It's weird watching this from five years in the future, knowing that that didn't pan out for most of the people that are in this and, and certainly in previous seasons and including some of the people who showed up in this season to talk about how great their experience was. So it is a very kind of depressing thing to deal with. But we're here to talk about something that both Liam and I had a bit of an issue with. And again, we're not throwing accusations around, but there is a central conflict in some of these episodes involving Eric Roberts and his stepson. Is it Keaton Simons? I have no idea. I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's his stepson. They are estranged. Now, um, uh, Eric Roberts and his wife, Eliza Roberts, have been together for a very long time. Uh, Keaton is the son of Eliza Roberts from a previous relationship. And they, uh, when Keaton was a young man, him and Eric Roberts had a very contentious relationship. <laughs> and according to the show, they had not spoken for 13 years. Is that correct? Some, I some, think it's 16. 16 it was years. 16, it was a long time. And contentious is putting it lightly, considering now, what happened. Now, that's that's a very good point. Now, Rob, what is the story that Keaton says? Um, the story that he says that they repeat over and over again in mm-hmm. commercials and take his side, seemingly, before the final uh, meeting between them is that uh, Eric Roberts had a, had, had a temper – and he had their relationship. His relationship with him was based on Keaton buying Eric Roberts dr- uh, pot. I guess hmm. I think he says drugs, but it's just pot. Uh, it's never like anything more ridiculous than that. But when he's like fifteen or sixteen, which is still fucked up. But yeah. Um, and uh, apparently, Eric Roberts would be would like sort of lose his temper a lot and sort of say like sort of like confront him and sort of be very like macho and like whatever sort of like challenge him almost and it finally came to a point where keaton said if he continued doing that he was going to kick his ass and uh they say he was gonna beat him with a baseball yes, bat that is he what did. he said he was going to beat him with a baseball bat Okay, so Keaton is this asshole sixteen year old, it sounds like, and he's playing music way too loud at like what was it like two AM or yes. something ridiculous? 
and and we know from from watching a lot of different Eric Roberts reality show type uh, projects that Eric Roberts suffers from insomnia and often goes to bed oh, as early as like eight o'clock. Oh my! I didn't even know that part. So. Yeah, so you already have an irritable anger issue, Eric Roberts, and this kid playing music really loud at like 2am or whatever, and he comes in and yells at him for playing music too loud, and the kid pulls out a baseball bat, I guess, and Eric Roberts says, like, what are you going to hit me? And then the kid (laughs) proceeds to beat him to, like, within an inch of his life, it sounds like, like, just breaks his ribs, and apparently the issue that, uh, Dr. Drew still had at the end of it was that Eric Roberts continued taunting him after. <laughs> is, is that all you got? <laughs> yeah. All, it's, uh, yeah. He keeps saying it's all you got, which is what keeps being repeated over and over again before commercials um, after he's broken his ribs and beaten him to the ground where he can no longer <laughs> uh, function as a human being. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's where their relationship apparently ended. <laughs> So and that's that is what is discussed and confronted on it really that's the major Eric Roberts story of the second half of the season. It really has no real relation to his drug habit at all. Uh, I guess it does go back to the fact that he said that he he that he would use um marijuana to sort of curb his temper, but well, if that they, sorry. He also they also worked it in by having by Eric, by a Drew Dr. Drew, like, repeatedly trying to say, like, and you get irritable when you're not smoking pot. And right. They kept bringing up the fact that he, uh, Keaton would buy Eric pot and apparently rip him off, yes. which would annoy Eric Roberts, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it makes you, like, like they're, so they haven't, like, just talked in 16 years, even though they were obviously living under the same roof for a good chunk of that time. I mean, er, Keaton Simons is in his at the point that this show was airing was in his mid 30s so he's not like a kid anymore um and in fact he uh yeah because i think he's 38 now or something along those lines i think it was 30 uh, i think they did like half his life i thought it was like 32 but i could be yeah wrong. so he might be yeah because this was like five years ago yeah so they bring him in like they bring in eliza roberts and she talks to eric and they talk about this whole situation and then they bring keaton in and they all talk together and keaton kind of tells this story and they have a discussion and it ends with eric and him hugging and then like the next day or at least the next episode they have like this big dinner with everyone from the house and and it's like a big celebration of of how far they've come and they do a slideshow and keaton simons plays a song next to it and like none of that by itself sounds so unusual but when watching it it felt it felt it felt <laughs> it felt very much like like i couldn't trust what the show was telling me like that Part of the deal of having Eric Roberts on this show was to have his stepson perform a song and and get a lot of exposure for it and to have him get some exposure as well. And it I, I don't want to feel like that's true, but on the Wikipedia page for Keaton, it mentions that after appearing on that episode, he sold like 100,000 copies of his song on iTunes. And it's like, well, good for you, right? <laughs> Is that right? Is that congratulations? I mean, good. He he he's a talented musician, and he's gotten a lot of exposure. And you know, you got to do what you got to do. And David Duchovny has written songs for him. Um, what? Yeah, that's that's true. That's on the Wikipedia. That that explains, by the way, why Eric okay. Roberts is Aquarius. <laughs> that's why he loves Aquarius so much. Uh, because there is like like they've worked together, David Duchovny and and Keaton. Um, but within the context of this episode, it felt like. 
this was a means to an end, and that is something that I had an issue with. And maybe I'm reading too far into it. Liam, what did you think? It, the scenario is not unbelievable. Like, it, you know, Eric Roberts seems like, both from how he describes himself and from what little we know of him, that he did have anger issues, that he seems like the kind of guy that could possibly have this blow up. But, I mean, first of all, this scenario... Eh, eh, Everything on the show seems to be in Dr. Drew's control. Like, he is introducing every theme. He's making everything happen. This scenario, if you remember, it happens when he's in a joint session with his wife, and his wife brings it up. And she literally goes, so here's a thing we should deal with. And immediately when she does that, my, like, <laughs> getting worked sensor got, like, you know, as as my good friend Gavin says, he says, you know, I respect the good work, but I'm not a mark, so don't don't treat me like a mark. A pro but wrestling terminology. As, yeah, well, he's obsessed with wrestling, so that's why he talks about it. So, <laughs> like, as soon as, as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh, what's this? What's this going to be? And then the way it works out, like, first of all, I'm supposed to believe that when Eric Roberts tells a story – the way he tells the story is just, I yelled at him and his friends, and after that, it was okay. And then the other dude tells the story, he's like, well, there was a baseball bat, and I broke his ribs. Or yeah, and right? I was like, no, 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 no. This, does not, uh, this is not kosher. And then, as you said, the fact that this reconciliation came at just the right time for now him to play a song on the fucking show, especially because here's the thing. When you, you, you said just now, you said the next day. Well, maybe not the next day, but the next episode. Right. But if you really pay attention, the show is very condensed. Like, yeah. people probably don't realize this, but actually getting 10 episodes out of a month. I mean, they're in there for a month. Yeah. Less. You know? Less than a month. Less, that's right. less than a month. They're in rehab, and now they've got 10 episodes. The whole thing is fucking bullshit. And so <laughs> the idea that, like, oh, he's just ready for the next thing to do this song all of that struck me as like, yo, this is a work. Like, I don't trust this. And like, that's one of the, that, it seems to me this would be a good place for Eric. Ro I mean, yes, there's a moment we, you, you know, Rob, you weren't on with us. We were talking about the first section. Uh, Eric Roberts has this very emotional moment, which actually felt real to me. I didn't feel like Eric Roberts was acting or something or being, you know, unnecessarily dramatic. Like, that felt like a real thing. But this thing with his son, like, it didn't have the same. I don't know. Again, we could be wrong. This is what's interesting about the show, right? Like yes. the show is using the show feels fake. It feels set up, but the problems are real. If they weren't real, so many people wouldn't have died right after being on the show. Yeah. Like then it would be like, oh, actually, all these people are fine now because it was all bullshit. Instead, I think the reality is that what makes it strange is that you have both the reality TV thing in which we're going to create these scenarios and highlight dysfunction and all that stuff. But these people have real problems. So could they have been alienated to some extent or could there be some issues between them? Sure. But I also felt to me like they were highlighting this for a purpose. Like, yes, I felt like it was just as likely that all this dysfunction between them was true, but that they set up the reconciliation for the show, knowing in advance that this was going to happen as like a work to be like, this is how we're going to get Eric exposure on the show and get uh, the kid exposure and all that. Well, he's not a kid anymore, but get yeah. his stepson exposure and all that shit. It seems that as soon as they introduce these unreal elements or things that kind of smell of setup, it kind of trivializes the whole the whole reality of this, the addiction that people are actually going through. And it, it makes you feel like, well, what can I trust, right? How serious are these issues? Is, are people playing up, right? Are people playing characters 
when they're in here, right? How much of this is a facade? And it becomes really difficult to discern what you're supposed to be emotionally affected by and what is people just playing up. And it it really, that part was the, the you know, the, the sirens went off. I could be entirely wrong. There's a part of me that thinks that part of the deal of doing this show involved Keaton playing a song on one of the episodes. And that was set up before they ever went up into the house. And it's hard for me to think otherwise. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong on that. But when watching it, it really felt that way. I totally see that. I mean, the way I saw it was like, it felt more to me like Eric Roberts wasn't really in there as much for pot as much as he was as like, here's an excuse to reconnect with his stepson, which is, which is admirable if that's what he wants to do. Right. And it seems to have worked if indeed the situation is what they said it was. I think to some extent, I mean, I think, we all somewhat agree that it was to whatever extent. I mean, obviously it was set up beforehand, like, and it was obviously set up that they would have that conversation and that would happen and obviously someone would play, but like, yeah, it just felt like this was all like, I mean, watching the show, like Eric Hummers the entire time, he just feels like he's on the film set. Like he doesn't feel like he's like really in rehab. <laughs> he just feels like he's like hanging out the same way he would on the film set. Like he's just there. Especially after that gets resolved. he Eric yeah. Roberts basically vanishes from the show until his final moments on it. Right. And, and right. you wonder when it's all over, it's like, what did he, what was his arc? Right. Did he yeah. kick, like, is he, is he going to not use marijuana? Because he's on a website now that is celebrating marijuana. So does, <laughs> does he not use marijuana anymore? Do I care if he does or not? Right? Does it matter? He lives in California, right? Where mar- medical marijuana is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably right. for anger issues as well. And if he's going to smoke the equivalent of a joint and a half per day, is that something that I should feel uncomfortable with? I know you do, uh, Liam, because of your straight edge. No, 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 not at all. Pot should be legal. I mean, this, this, his, the issue with his pot, like when he first comes on and it's like, well, I use a lot of pot. My first response, even being a straight edge person, was like, you use a lot of pot. What the fuck? Like, this sounds ridiculous. It was only when he explained it that it made sense to me, which. It doesn't need to be. He could be doing. He could literally have gone on that show and been like, "Yeah, I got to jerk off three times a day, or else I'm really, <laughs> I'm really mean to everybody." Like that's what it boils down to. The issue is not the pot. The issue is that he uses the pot in a way that allows him to avoid what is really going on with him, which is right. anger issues. Which was probably what was going on when he was on fucking coke too. Like, right, right. He yeah. has emotional issues. He's not dealing with. They're related to insecurity. And like I said, the one scene in the beginning of the uh, the season where he's emotional with Dr. Drew, that didn't feel fake to me. It might right. have been staged, but staged is not the same as fake. That's right. Like, like it, and that's what I was saying with his son. Like, maybe they really did need to reconcile. But that part felt very staged. Even the scene where he's emotional, though, in the beginning of the season, that might have been staged, but it didn't. It felt like he was actually upset, and that was real, you know? Now, speaking of staged, let's talk very... Uh, briefly about how the season ends. So uh, fuck. So all of the members of the uh, house they graduate and they move on, but then there's still like 15 minutes in the episode, and that 15 minutes encompasses Rachel, who uh, you might recall if you listened to the last episode that she is dealing with a variety of addictions. Though really, all they really focus on is her addiction to relationships. 
or love addiction, but which is a thing, so. which is which is absolutely a thing. But if you look on the Wikipedia page, it also says that she's addicted to alcohol, opiates, including Valium, Clonopin, and Xanax. I mean, there's there seems to be more than they actually talk about in the show. But her situation is very unique. She lost her boyfriend or her uh, fiance. Was it her husband at the time? I think it was fiance. I think it was fiance. Too, yeah. yeah. In uh, in the nine eleven attacks, he was in one of the towers that collapsed, and she was on the phone with him. When the tower collapsed, which is the sort of trauma that that is hard to even relate to. It's just so hardcore, right? So Dr. Drew decides that the best way for her to confront this trauma is to go to New York and go to Ground Zero. And she's also going to – she has a note that she hasn't read from uh, about, um, about her fiancé that – she will then read and destroy as a way to kind of – she was going to bury it with him, but she couldn't. She just could not at the time. And this is going to be her way to say goodbye. I had a lot of issues with this part of the show. It felt not – it staged. It did. Uh, it felt really legitimate on her part. She seemed to have really uh, – she seemed uncomfortable, which is exactly how you would expect someone to be in those circumstances. But it also felt, just like what, when it came to what I was just talking about, that this was planned – from the first episode that this was going to happen that this was going this show was going to end at ground zero with a stranger hugging her talking about how he lost his wife and niece in, at, in the attacks and uh and that was going to be kind of the emotional kicker to the season and that's where i felt like uh, it, that that harkened back to the first half of the season where rachel left the house and or almost left the house and ended up coming back and it's like well did they try harder for her to come back so they could still have this at the end? Or was her leaving in the first place, was that something that was kind of pushed because it made it more dramatic since she really had nothing else going on until the end? It, uh, it, it just, again, once, once, that, once the, the penny drops on the manipulation, you start looking for it everywhere. Rob, what did you think of that 9-11 portion of this uh, series? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I... It's rough. I mean, obviously, like, whatever the show does is whatever the show does. But, like, for her, that's obviously a real thing. That's obviously, I mean, losing anybody is rough. I've lost at least two friends to suicide. Um, and it sounds like her her fiancé jumped out of the building. Uh, is that what happened? He jumped out of the building? They didn't give much detail. Called? I mean, she describes it as him falling from that, that height but yeah. it could also have been in the context of the whole tower collapsing and him falling because he was trapped under the rubble afterwards. I mean, again, these are awful things. For me, even saying it makes me uncomfortable. But yeah. she, I mean, her trauma is extremely real and something that she obviously is still dealing with during the course of this show. And and maybe it was incredibly useful for her to go to Ground Zero. It just, is it more useful to have the cameras there? Is it more useful for Dr. Drew to be like uh, talking about her emotional state while it's happening? Well, that's just something else, something else that bugged me actually throughout the entire show is that Dr. Drew is very obsessed with uh, exposure therapy, it seems, about like exposing everybody. It's like, here's the temptations of you're at a bar, you're in the street corners where there's drugs being dealt, you're at fucking the site where your fucking fiance died um, on like this nationally. Uh, recognized tragedy sure um i don't know like that whole scene felt incredibly I, I don't it's hard for me to really imagine what she felt or what her motivation was for any of that because that feels so complicated to 
deal with that. Like there's so many emotions tied up in that. And like, I mean, they say in the narration, narration that he's obviously loved her life. I mean, we have no idea. We don't sure. know her right. really, but uh, assuming he was like, I mean, she feels very guarded throughout that entire scene. Like sure. even when she's putting the bottle in the river, she feels there's, it doesn't feel like we're seeing her. It feels like we're seeing the her that she wants to present on camera or that she's capable of presenting on camera. What I kept thinking while watching it was, I should not be watching this, right? Yeah. This, this is not a moment for me to see. And this really isn't a moment for anyone to see, right? This is a private yeah. thing. And why couldn't it be private, right? What even that? It just feels like, it didn't even feel like, not even that we should see it, it should feel like, it didn't even feel like she necessarily wanted to be there. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I understand that there's elements of this uh, therapy, like you said, when it comes to exposure. Uh, this isn't like Maury Povich having the woman terrified of pickles and then coming out with with a pickle to shove in her face. You know, this is obviously <laughs> something that was planned out and talked about and discussed. But but it, it also felt – it also felt – I mean, in that kind of situation, if she was like, you know what? I don't want to do the bottle thing. Was yeah. she going to be able to say no, right? I mean, it, it, well, I mean so much al- pressure. Was the alternative that she just bury it? I mean, like, yeah. we, don't, we don't know what the alternative. We don't know what the writing process was of this. Like, this could have been, like, the best compromise she could have sure. came up with as well. As of, like, this is what I can do. Like, they might have kept pitching. I mean, I have no idea. They could have kept pitching her ideas. Like, if you can't do this, can you do this? Like, can you at least, like, put the thing in a bottle so it looks cinematic for us? Like, yeah. she might not have been comfortable with any of it, but she just needed the money, maybe. I don't know. I mean, again, we, we can't make we're, – we're obviously jumping to conclusions here, but it's the kind of show – because it's a reality television show where it's hard not to jump to those conclusions. Liam- I, I, I think my opinion of it is based a little bit on – how skeptical I am of that kind of therapy. Like I I'm skeptical that in a month, Dr. Drew has the insight to know what you need is for us to take you to ground zero with cameras. And then we'll just do some shit at ground zero. And that's what you need. I think that's really what, what is going to help you. I just don't believe, I mean, I think that's, this is the problem for me with the whole show is I don't actually believe he has any insight or knowledge. I don't, think anything he says on the show is helpful i think that like some positive work might have been done in these folks lives but nothing i see presented to me on the show am i like man that dr drew really knows his shit like he's really really getting at something it's it's all feels very service to me so for that moment even if something is accomplished for her i don't think that comes from dr drew's insight as a therapist or a psychologist or whatever the fuck it is i'm supposed to believe that he is i think it's just you know, maybe the fact that she's there is is meaningful in some sense, but the addition of cameras to it and the way that it's just like, well, for you, this is this thing we have to do. It just, you know, the whole show benefits off of people's wells of pain. That's what that's what the show wants. And so they're like, look, we've got this one last big, you know, oil well of pain up at ground zero. We're going to we're going to nail that to really end the show on on, on some heights. Right. I know. I agree with you 100 percent. And that's it. That is season four of Celebrity Rehab. Yeah, I do not have particularly positive feelings about the show overall. I kind of wish that uh, I didn't have had to experience um, this entire season, but I am somewhat relieved over the fact 
that I will never have to watch another episode of this again. We're going to take our final break. And when we return, we're going to have a little talk with Rob. And we're going to say goodnight. Be back in just a moment. And we're back from our final break. I want to give a massive thanks to one Mr. Rob Marvin and his Undressing Underground podcast. You can go back into his archives and find the episode that I appeared on very early in the life of Eric Roberts as the fucking man. Rob, you were very kind to come on the show. Honestly, it was not uh, the best situation for a guest having to come on and discuss the back half of a show without having watched the first five episodes. But it was really nice to talk to you again. And it was really nice to have your thoughts on something that sucked. How are you feeling? I mean, I feel as great as I can be being the last resort for this awful fucking choice of episodes. (laughs) Cut your life into pieces. This is your last resort. Yeah. Suffocation. (laughs) No breathing. Oh my God. Don't fucking do that. They're American, right? You just did that. That's terrible. Yeah, why do you hate America so much? What, do you want me to give reasons? I can list them out. <laughs> I, I got too. two of them right in front of me right now. I have one in my presence, so it's fine. Rob Marvin, you deleted your Facebook. I didn't yet, but I probably will. Why? Why not? It's just depressing. But you are on Twitter and you have a podcast. Do I, though? Mm, that's a good, good point. <laughs> Are you uh, suggesting that the rest of us should delete our social media accounts? Why not? No, not me, because you love my Twitter. I do like a lot of your, like, <laughs> at least a third of your posts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, will you tweet as much as I do? That's a significant amount. It is. Uh, I don't remember anything I've actually liked, but I know you go on to weird, like, you remind me of my friend who's going to the next episode uh, about failure. Um, Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> you seem like the kind of guy who's just like very into being beat up on. <laughs> I don't know. Are you saying that because every time someone insults me, I, I retweet it no matter what the context is? Does that happen? I don't pay enough attention. To... People love to insult me, and I don't know why. Liam d- usually has my back, but sometimes he's the one doing the insulting. Um, By the way, who does that... Uh, Doug Tilly is the fucking man. <laughs> <laughs> the, the great thing about you asking that question is both Liam and I know the answer to that question. And there are people, significant number of people, like it's legitimately significant, who think that I run that account. And I can't even... You do. It's because you do. Don't lie. <laughs> Liam, you fucker. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. And when it started to, when it popped up, there is just to explain to the uh, people listening right now, there's a Twitter feed that a Twitter account <laughs> called Douglas Tilly is the fucking man, which is me. Douglas, that's great. <laughs> D-T-I-T-F-M, something like that. Uh, yeah, which just basically retweets my shit, which is great, right? And I, at first I was very skeptical about the motivations behind it, but it actually is run by a listener of the show, uh, a listener of both this show and No Budget Nightmares, who just happened to enjoy what I was putting out there. 
But he has made other people think that I am this raving <laughs> egomaniac who's just like, we need another account to show how brilliant I am. Just to, just like two days later, that shit I did two days ago, let's put that back out there. But honestly, he does a really good job when he has remembers he, to tweet my shit. Has he been on the show? Has not been on the show. Rob Marvin, if people yes. want to find you on the internet and follow what work you're doing, what's the best way for them to do so? I don't fucking know. Um, just uh, why are you here again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you just said. It cut out. Oh, sorry. You didn't know what I said. Yeah. Rob. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Rob Marvin, if people want to find your work on the internet, what's the best way for them to do so? No, I heard that. I didn't read your response to my. Jesus bullshit. Christ! Just answer the fucking question. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you can go to undressingunderground.com, assuming that still works. I can't have to read Undressingtheunderground.com? Yeah, undressing the underground. I mean, if you want to register that dog, go at Douglas, go ahead. But um <laughs> By the way, I mean I'm just gonna say this to you right now, Rob. Undressing the underground is a way better title. Yeah, but I'm not about good things. I'm okay, about that's, that's what a good point. Humiliates me. It's um, not gonna be underground if people can find it. <laughs> exactly. And I'm on here because it's humiliating to be on here. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so dressingunderground.com, dressing underground on, uh, you know, Stitcher and iTunes and all that bullshit. Uh, apparently you can't get me on, uh, what's that, uh, Android thing? Google play music. No, the other one. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. There's like something my friend, I tried to subscribe to me on. They couldn't find me. Whatever. We're probably not on it either, but there's lots of ways to find your show. You exactly. just go to undressingtheunderground.com. You're also on Twitter, Rob. I'm on Twitter. I'm on at Falconvane, which is a uh, nonsense uh, of Montreal friends to an album nobody likes, which is the most recent one. Um, at Falconvane. Yeah, Falcon, yes. And uh, you can also find me on YouTube if you just search for stupid shit I've done, like uh, Indiana Noise Fest 2014 or Practice Date or... Make better cookies than your grandmother. I don't know what the fuck is shit I've done is called. What is? What are you even talking about? I don't know. Are these you bands? Me on here. No, it's just this stupid shit I've done. I, why do you keep talking to me? Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> Where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, well, my Twitter is at Liam Rules, L-I-A-M-R-U-L-Z. Uh-huh. Or uh, wait, am I the only one of us yeah. three who don't have an embarrassing Twitter name? <laughs> Is mine embarrassing? No. In fact, <laughs> I do not have an embarrassing Twitter name because I do, in fact, rule. <laughs> R-U-L-Z. That's the only proper way to spell rules. People don't know that. Right. I'm sure in Canada you spell it E-S because you fucking worship the British or some shit. But Wait. here in America, we spell things with a Z, and that's how it goes. Oh, I'm sorry. Ed. At Liam Rules or Cinepunks.com is also a place where you can find things that I do. Uh, and a, a fest that I work for, uh, the Bruce Campbell Horror Film Festival. We're going to be announcing our lineup, I believe, sometime next week. So keep an eye out for that. Is that in uh, Philly? It's in Chicago. Oh, well, fuck you. Then. <laughs> Are you going to the Windy City, Liam? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, uh, it's in August. August 18th, I think it starts. Do you want me to ride? Sure, yeah, I got you. You guys should have right, got cool. it. It would be great. Yeah. We'll record a podcast on the web. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can start your own Doug Tilly is the fucking man podcast. 
Never. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> if you want to find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, go over to ericrobertsistheman.com. Listen to old episodes and subscribe via <laughs> iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. If you go on Facebook, you can find our Facebook group. Just do a search for Eric Roberts is the man where we post a lot of behind the scenes dirt. <laughs> Of course, you can find me at Doug underscore Tilly on Twitter. That is T-I-L-L-E-Y. But with that, we have gone too long. Stop laughing, Rob. Jesus. I should remember I spelled your name wrong when I put your podcast episode up. You spelled it T-I-L-L-Y? Yeah. Yeah, I only say... The way it should be spelled. I only say how it's spelled every single time I mention it on every podcast I've ever done. Including mine, but I didn't care. So. Yeah, you, you're, you're too underground to spell things properly. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> We have to go. <laughs> Rob shall not be returning. <laughs> we will be back. I got drunk as an excuse. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks with more Eric Roberts goodness. Good night, everybody. Everyone yeah. say good night. Good night. I'll be back. Fuck you guys. <laughs>